real lawyers, real life challenges, real results. Welcome everyone to another episode of this podcast. This podcast, this show is for you if you have your own law firm. If you have real life business management challenges with your law firm, and if you are committed, and especially if you're committed to putting in the work to get real results. This podcast is not for you if your law firm is perfect, if you never have any marketing challenges, if you never have any sales challenges, if you never have any management or staffing challenges, if you never have any financial challenges. I mean, if your law firm is just perfect, then you don't need a podcast like this unless you just want to like tune in and laugh at the rest of us who live in the real world. This podcast is also not for you if you are looking for a magic pill, because magic pills do not exist in the real world. This law firm podcast is for you if you are a serious business owner, if you take your law firm seriously, if you consider yourself an entrepreneur and a lawyer, and you're not just going to try and hide out behind, I'm a lawyer, I don't want to be a business owner, because the minute you decide to start your own law firm, you decide to become a business owner. Your law firm is a real business, and it responds in very predictable ways to certain inputs around each of the seven main parts that every successful law firm has in common. If you input garbage, your law firm is going to give you garbage. If you input, input bit good business management practices, then your law firm is going to respond accordingly, and it will be a profitable, predictable, and a fun business for you to own. It can be. In each episode, we interview a real lawyer with a real law firm that was experiencing some very real challenges, and we ask that lawyer to, to speak openly and honestly with us about one big challenge they were experiencing, how they overcame it, and what the results have been since then. And of course, I know you want to know, so I'm definitely going to ask our guests to get into some specific details about the nature of the challenge and exactly what steps they took to overcome those challenges so that you can follow the same steps if you find that you're experiencing a similar challenge in your business. So our guest this week is none other than Jason Estavilla from the Bay City area. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Arjun. Good to be here. I said None other than Jason Estavio from the Bay City area. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I'm here, Arjun. Great to be with you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, so, look, to begin with, let's start where we always start with name, rank, and serial number. Jason, uh, how old are you? 49 years old. And your relationship status? I am married with three children, three daughters. And what are their ages? Uh, a 12-year-old and twin seven-year-olds. What was your education before you went to law school? I attended a, a university here in California called Chico State um, in Poli Sci, and then went directly um, into law school after that. And uh, what did you learn in law school about the business of running a law firm? Absolutely nothing. Zero, zero. Did you do anything between college and law school or before you went to college that prepared you to be a business owner and an entrepreneur? 
No, the only thing I might have, the only experience I had is I worked for a family friend who had his own company. It was a construction company when I was high school. And so I saw what he was doing as an entrepreneur. But besides that, I had no training background at all um, about running a business. Did that family friend, when you were in high school, go out of his way to expose you or her way to expose you to like the business of how they ran their, their construction company? Did they, did they talk to you about marketing and sales and creating efficient workflow processes and procedures and staffing issues and financial controls and things like that? No, we, none of that. You know, I was, he, he kind of hired me as a favor uh, for a summer job. I drove a construction truck around and did errands and things of that nature. So I didn't get any kind of training and it's no fault of his but um i don't think but no i never got any of that from uh, that individual but he's still a friend of mine he was the best man at my wedding well i mean was there an expectation that he was supposed to hire you and, and expose you to how to run a business or was it just hiring you as a high school kid to teach you some responsibility and just how to show up for a job every day it was the latter i believe you know it's kind of just taking me in and giving me an opportunity to work, make some money during the summer. Okay. Um, so uh, you got out of law school, and then what? Did you start your own law firm right away? What did you do? No, I started – I worked started working for a small firm here in um, the East Bay. Um, I lived in San Francisco. Um, he was a solo practitioner – that I met through my younger sisters um, at her graduation at UCSB, and their, her daughter, her his daughter, and my sister were friends, and so that was my first experience of working for a solo. Um, and I learned how I didn't want to run my law firm, and I didn't want to treat my clients, and I didn't want to treat employees. It's the first job I ever quit. Okay. Um. How long did you work for that solo? Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I've been practicing for 23 years. I'm going to say maybe two years, give or take. Okay. I don't know if it was even that long. All right. And then what did you do after you left his employee? I actually went on my own. Um, I, I went on my own. I was single living in San Francisco. I found an office in a my neighborhood um and i had a lot of i knew a lot of people and so i started getting business through that um and i did that for about two two years um and then i met my now wife and because i really wasn't taking that job seriously it was more of a, a hobby type situation i went to go work for a, a boutique firm in san francisco Tell me, what do you mean by it was more of a hobby situation? I think there's a lot of lawyers who know solo practitioners who, you know, they go to bar functions and they gripe and they complain and they try to enroll everyone else into their stories and their excuses. But really, if they're being honest with themselves, they're really just treating their, their law firm like a hobby. What do you mean by that? So it was, so in San Francisco, there's a place, in, it's called Cal Hollow, and I, my office was on Union Street. There was it's bars, restaurants. It's a very social center, and that was my neighborhood. So, I would go work, and I would 
when I went in, I would work and I liked working. Um, but I, you know, I would work on cases, but I would just, I wasn't worried about money, not because I had a trust fund or anything like that. I was making money, but I didn't worry about collections because I was getting, I was making enough money to su survive. Um, and then I got a lot of free stuff for doing favors for friends that own bars and restaurants and things like that. And I, it was just part of my lifestyle, if that makes sense. It does. I, actually, I, I've, I've known a number of lawyers like that who basically support their social life through essentially a barter system. Exactly. Exactly. And that works great till you got kids. Until you meet your wife who who it kicks my butt, which is why I fell in love with her because I need that. I knew what I needed, and it was like, okay, time to grow up. And so that's when I went to go work for a firm again. All right, so you then closed down your firm, went to go work for a boutique firm, and how long were you with that boutique firm? Oh, almost four years. Okay, and then when you left that boutique firm, is that when you started your now current law firm? No, then I went for work to I went I left that firm and went to work for another firm um and then I was at that firm for about 3 years and then I left when I left that firm is when I started my own firm. All right. How long ago did you start your own firm? Really 2011. I went on my own in 2009, um, but I was still have an office at my old firm, and I got I had one client that I did all the work for, so I don't really consider it. I didn't really go on my own and hire my first employee and get office space here in downtown Oakland until 2011. So 2011 is when you really started to take your law firm seriously as a real business. Exactly. Okay. And what did the firm gross that year? Um, we probably did uh, less than $100,000. I was lucky enough that my wife was working full-time and had a very good income. Um, so I okay. had that benefit. And what did the firm do in 2012? It 2012, I think we did about 300000 So tripled. Yeah, it, this is where I – so one of the, my specialties was foreclosure litigation, and I started focusing on that. So I started getting more business as a result of that. All right. And 13? 13, we did 570. And 14? See where we're going with this, right? 14, we did 607. And 15, 2015? <laughs> 872. And 2016? 923. And last year? 915. And what are you looking to track this year? 1.2, maybe a little more, but... One two, one two ish. One point two ish. Depends on how. Okay. We, yeah, a lot has to do with the last quarter. And all right. The issues that we're going to talk about and how it might help us. Okay. 
And what are you figuring 2019 is going to be next year? 2019, we're shooting for 2.5. 2.5 million. Excellent. Okay. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, I should I should say that you your firm is a member of How to Manage a Small Law Firm, which everyone knows is my business. And we function as your outside CEO, and we function as your outside COO, and we out. We also function as your outside CFO, right? Not, I'm not in the CFO program yet. Okay. So CEO, COO, but not CFO yet. Correct. What are you waiting for, man? All right, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, and, 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 uh, and, and I should also just mention just a little bit of context because I think it's going to probably come up in our conversation. Uh, you volunteered to work a trade show booth with us some time ago. We we had a booth at the Lawyernomics show in Las Vegas uh, earlier this year. Was it the end of last year? I forgot. Um, it was this year. It was this year. Man, seems like a long time ago. Uh, would you share a little bit about some of the some of the things you learned by just working a trade show booth and talking to hundreds and hundreds of lawyers about their businesses? I think well, one of the things I took away from that was what I found very interesting is people came to this trade show in theory to try to make them better attorneys, better business owners, more successful. And just the lack of wanting to embrace trying to in improve your business, it just seemed that people, you explain how, I would explain to people, I'm a real person, I have a real business, this is what I do, and they just don't want to do it, yet they spent 10000 15000 because if you think about how much time they're taking off, how much it costs to fly out if they're from the East Coast, pay for the hotels, all their meals, pay all that money for that, yet they wouldn't even want to try to figure out how to, to make their business and their life better. It just, I, I found it kind of, it was kind of mind-numbing and kind of frustrating on the one hand, but on the other hand, it just it makes my life a lot easier when I want to run my business about my competition. Speak a little bit more about that, please. Well, it's it. So when we so my firm, the way we we created this firm, when I created it in the beginning, I wanted to help people, and I, and I still want to help people. But when we ever when every time we touch somebody now. I want to be able to help them. Even if they're never going to be my client, I want them to walk away and say, okay, find, find a referral for them or here's some information for them or here's why you don't need us. I don't want your money because we can't help you because this is a very simple solution. No matter who we touch, I want them to make, be in a better position. And most attorneys aren't like that. Most attorneys, like if you call a firm, they don't even have someone who like will talk to them, try to understand what their problem is. And they just like they just don't want their business. They don't return their phone calls. It just it's it's crazy. <laughs> if that makes sense. Do you think that's because those attorneys don't care, or do you think that's because those attorneys are drowning under? I mean, or the business is just crushing them. Their business is is grinding them down, and they can't live up to their 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 better aspirations. I think that's definitely one aspect of it. I think it also is they don't understand 
just returning phone calls. And I'm by no means am I perfect. I have my moments where I, clients are emailing me and I don't get back to them and things like that. But it's about customer service and providing what we like to say an A-plus product. And people are happy providing a C product because they're getting by. But no, realizing that if they provided a higher-end product or an A product or B product, what, how much better their life would be, how much better their client's life would be, and when they go home at night, how much better they're off they're going to be when they see their wife, their partner, their husband, their children, who are, their cat, their dog, their fish, whoever it is. But you're just in a much better mindset, if that makes sense. I, it makes sense to me, but I, I, I imagine there must be some lawyers listening to this right now who are scratching their heads. So at, we'll get to the challenge you came on the show to share about in just a minute, but it's a good one because you told me what it was ahead of time. Um, but uh, just speak a little bit more to that about going home to your fish after offering and providing an A-plus product to your clients versus a C product. What, what, talk a little bit more about that. Well, I think you – so I'm, I've always been the kind of person where I leave my work at work, and I, when I walk in the house, I want to walk in the house without it. And it's a lot easier to walk in the house and not think about work when you know you did a good job and your office and your employees did a good job and you're, everyone's happy. Um, if you know, we've had F clients and it sucks the life out of my staff, me, my other attorneys. And it just kind of like on a Friday, if something goes bad that you just leave the office on a Friday feeling yucky versus if you help somebody on a Friday or a Thursday and you walk out of the office feeling good, like, you know, you did something good and you're helping them. You walk, you just, you feel it like it's like a brush of fresh, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, and your mindset is so much better when you walk in the house and you're happy. Um, you know, you're not stressed out. <laughs> I think stress is the biggest issue with running a small law firm and mi trying to minimize the stress as much as possible. It's not, I mean, you can't get rid of all the stress, but doing what you can to, Make it a better place for everybody, be it music, flowers, you know, little, we like on Fridays, well, you know, we all have people that people have beers and like at three o'clock in the afternoon, um, not too many, but, you know, little things like that to make them feel better. So when they go home, you know, everyone's in a better mood and take people out to lunch too. But it's when it comes to the clients, it's, you know, knowing you're helping them. That's what it's all about. That's why we do what we do. Don't you think that most lawyers would tell you that they do a great job for their client? Don't you think most lawyers genuinely and sincerely believe that they're working, that, that, they're, that they're giving their clients great service? I mean, I don't, I don't meet a lot of lawyers who are, who are quick to admit, even to themselves, that they could be doing so much better than they're doing, but they don't. Yes, I agree with that statement. I think because – you have to feel that way, one. And number two is you're not – one of the things you're not looking at is from the client's perspective about things. You're not looking at what they're feeling and what they're going through. You know, for example, with foreclosure litigation, it's a very stressful situation for my clients when they're facing the possibility of losing their home. So what we try to do 
is try to bring some peace of mind to their situation, take on their burden as much as possible, but also being honest about the likelihood of prevailing or not prevailing. You can't lie to them, um, but you also, you know, you, you have to be honest with them, but take on that problem for them as if it's your problem and do the best job you can to try to achieve their goal. Do you think there's any correlation between those those aspirations and how you run your business today versus how you ran your business in the past? Yes, I think so. I think one of the things I do, I have more time to look at that aspect of it because when I started my firm, I was it was me and my one employee, so I was doing all the work. You know, when we talk about those numbers that I was doing, that was all me until I didn't have an attorney until 2016. So you don't really have time. Yeah, so you don't have really time to reflect on things about the kind of feedback you would want from your clients. Like for example, we're we're closing a file right now. I had a meeting with one of my associates and what we're going to do is we have a client relations manager and what we're going to have her do is follow up with them with two weeks after or a week after we send the letter, closing letter, and touch base with them to get feedback about our firm, about us, how we did. And number two is then ask them if they felt felt good about the job we did, if they would review us and get feedback that way so other people can find out about us on the internet because that's where we get a lot of our business. And that's how we can help people. And generate business, don't get me wrong, it's about making money too. I'm not gonna lie about that. But it's it's we're getting the kind of people the kind of clients we want, and that's that's makes that makes everyone's life in my office in this office that I'm in so much better. Do you meet a lot of lawyers who? I mean, I imagine there's a lot of lawyers on a who will be listening to this. I mean, hundreds, maybe someday thousands of lawyers who will be listening to this who are sitting there thinking, yeah, that's great. I'd love to have a client service person. I'd love to have uh, some associates on staff so that I can have the time to, to live up to all of these wonderful ideas and higher aspirations. But, you know, like, I can't. Can you, how do you think those lawyers are, are feeling? And you were, you were one of those lawyers once. Am I understanding that right? Right. Well, you know, let's talk about our client relations manager. And you brought up the the conference we I attended in Las Vegas. And I talked to you actually about how I wanted to hire our client relations manager, but I hadn't had time to do it. You know, every stuff gets in the way. You pulled me aside. You wrote out a checklist. I literally got on the phone with my office and like literally a half hour to talking to you and began the process right there and then. Because we always have excuses. We don't, we always like, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. It's like, you need to block out time to do it. You just have to, and then once you get it done, it's like, it's a brush of fresh air. You know, and I've said that earlier, but literally it didn't happen overnight. Don't get me wrong. The process of hiring, finding the right person takes time. But that right there, even though I talked about it, that's what I wanted to do two months ago. It just, I just knocked it out right there. And began the process that we hired someone in August to, you know, and, you know, they're doing a great job. And so it just, it, we all always have excuses. And what we have to do is, it's, as we sometimes say, is bullshit. 
And we have to get past that and just get it done because you're going to be so much better off. How do you feel now knowing that all of your clients get this extra attention versus how you felt before when you wanted your clients to get the extra attention, but you just didn't have the person on staff? It's like, my analogy is this. So in California, we have a a department store called Nordstrom and there's also Macy's and the customer service at Nordstrom is like a hundred times better than Macy's. I don't shop at Macy's anymore because I don't like the customer service. I feel like we're getting closer and closer to the Nordstrom model, which who, what it's like, why wouldn't you want to have that? It's, it's like the analogy would be the same thing a Ritz Carlton versus a Fairfield Inn. You know, and there's no, nothing wrong with a Fairfield Inn at times. You know, I got stuck in the airport and they had a room and I was happy to have a bed. But it's just, it's the quality. It's the, how you feel, the touches. Just you feel better as a business owner, as a lawyer, and you know your clients feel better. So let's get to your challenge. Uh, so now everyone knows you're a real lawyer. I think that's pretty clear, and I think it's pretty clear you have a real law firm and that you're a real person and a dad and a husband and, and all those things. Now, what is the real-life challenge that you came onto the show to share with our listeners? So the real-life challenge that I experienced um, was finding someone to replace me, a senior associate, and then a little over a year after they came on board, um, giving notice and how that was going to affect my firm and how we solved that problem so that we won't have that issue ever again, even though we haven't replaced that senior associate yet. It was just, I didn't realize how, how it was going to affect the firm because I hadn't ever gone through this before. So let's get into some specifics. Um, sure. When you had the, senior associate, the firm was grossing, I think you told me somewhere around about a hundred a month. Is that right? It actually, we, so this year in April, we did 91, May, we did 120, June, we did, we only did 98, but actually our, our net profit was greater because our expenses were higher in May. So we were doing close to a hundred thousand dollars consistently or close to, yeah. And then, okay. Then yeah, the associate so gave notice, we and can can Correct. we know why, if you know why the associate gave notice? I think he, so the associate wasn't someone who who had the ability to generate his own business, and he was approached by someone he had worked with in the past, and they were offering to give him a book of business, and he it would be his, and he was, it was, he would just basically take care of it and get the benefit of, like, if he had acquired that, those clients. He was about ready to have a second kid. I think he was looking for more stability, um, and it just fit his personality more. Just out of curiosity, did you give that associate any real-world advice about the fact that no one gives you a book of business without expecting something in return? I – I I probably should have gone more into detail about that, but no. I You know what? It was more of – as soon as he gave notice, I was kind of like going into triage moment mode. It happened on a Friday. I think I was going out of town. I was going out of town for about five days. 
back east. And so basically I had to figure out how to deal with that and get him get deal with him leaving, figure out what's going on with all the cases he was working on along with my uh, other associate. So my my I was like kind of in crisis mode, triage mode. Okay. So I, I I don't want to get sidetracked on that. Uh, but let's just get to the the impact that his departure had on your business. What impact did you think it was going to have on your business, versus what impact did it actually have on your business? I I thought the impact would be minimal because I thought we'd be able to, I could I because I wasn't as billing as much I could step up to the plate. Um, the problem is it was July and people already had planned vacations. Um, and it just, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't projecting looking forward about how it was going to affect it. So I was caught off guard when we, we went, dropped like over $25,000 in revenue, uh, per month, the following month. Yep. Okay. Um, and not expecting him to quit, obviously and not anticipating the impact that it would have when he left, what preparation had you made or more importantly, what preparations do you recognize in hindsight that you failed to make that if you had to do all over again, you would have made to protect yourself from that? I don't think the answer is don't ever hire anyone, try to do two and a half million dollars of business yourself. That's clearly not the answer, right? No, absolutely not. It's it's that that's that's backwards thinking. That's not going to get you anywhere. I don't want to go backwards where I was. Um, so there's two things I I, I took from this. Um, one was to deal with those kind of situations, having the staff and support to deal with it. So there's two ways to approach it. I think one of them is what we're doing right now is we've identified. We've uh, not identified. We have three contract attorneys now um, that are on board with us, and that will help us not only short term, but we'll hopefully we're going to keep contract attorneys on the sideline to deal with fluctuations because like we got ten new clients in in a two week period, and so you know when you don't have enough attorneys, you have to deal with you have to you have to have other people to give it to. And contract attorneys could be a great solution. The other thing I've learned is I want to. I need more attorneys to hire. I need a bigger, a bigger factory to have more bodies, so that when one person leaves, it doesn't have the same kind of impact. When you have two associates and myself losing one attorney, you know the two other attorneys have to take on that other attorney's work. If you have five associates and one leaves. Each one has to take on a lot less of the pie, and so I think that's something that I, I hope that in 2019 we'll have that in place in addition to the contract attorneys, so that we won't ever have to go through this again. Yeah, I mean, you know, most lawyers don't really take the time or haven't taken the time to think this through, and they 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 walk around with this idea that having a bigger firm is harder. You know, but I, having a two and a half million dollar firm is a lot easier than having a one million dollar firm, isn't it? You don't have a two and a half million dollar firm yet. But <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I'll tell you in a year. Okay. Because I well, will have a two and a half million dollar firm let's next year. Having a million dollar firm is a lot easier than having a uh, what were you doing? Half a million dollar firm just a few years ago. Yes, absolutely. Oh. What are some of the ways that having a million dollar firm or e it makes it easier for you than having a half million dollar firm? Well, I have I have five five employees. When I had a half million dollar firm, it was me and one other person. Um, I I can provide more for my family, um, but I'm also able to help more people and also get involved in other things where I think today I left at lunch because my wife sprained her foot really bad yesterday and I had to leave the office at 10 o'clock in the morning and take her to the hospital to make sure it wasn't broken and I could do that. If it was just me and one other person, my office manager, I couldn't do that. Because if I don't build, well, of course you would have done generated. it. You just would have been a. Of course you would have done it. Of course you would have taken your wife <laughs> to the hospital. Come on. You no, would have done I, it. I, I, just, I, you would have done to, it, and the whole time instead of being there for her, you would have been on your phone and checking your emails and not really being fully present. Exactly. When my twins were born, I was like that. I was. I basically stayed home three days, and I left my wife because I had to work on the business because that's what I thought I had to do. She brings that up to this day, <laughs> and, and nowadays, I'm not in that situation anymore. And nowadays, you can actually have a life. Your business affords you the opportunity to have a life, right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so think about this: when you've got one associate, and that associate goes down, and you know they could go down because they got sick, they could go down because their spouse got sick. They could go down because they just quit with short notice. God forbid they get hit by a bus. Whatever reason, they go from one from one week to the next, they're gone. You know, a hundred percent of that associate's workload falls on you. And assuming you're not sitting around with nothing to do most of the time, you're probably you know pretty busy already. And so when that associate's hundred percent workload falls on you, your life. You know, your, your quality of life goes down precipitously. If you've got two associates and one of them goes down, you know, half the workload falls on you and the other half the workload falls on the other associate. And still the quality of your life goes down a lot and the quality of life for the other associate goes down a lot. And all of a sudden you've got this enormous pressure to hire someone quickly because both you and your associate are under so much stress, and usually that's not the best way or time to be making hiring decisions. You following me? Absolutely. If you've got three associates and one of them goes down, you know, you can ask each of them to increase their workload by 30, 40% for a short time. You can take on, you know, one third of an associate's full workload. And then you can be much smarter and more calculating and, and, and more patient and, and make a better, smarter hiring decision. And to your point, when you get to the point where you've got five associates, which, by the way, if anyone's doing the math, that's basically a three to four million dollar firm. Um, 
you know, if you've got five associates and one of them craps out, you know, everyone takes on a little bit of extra business and that affords you a lot more runway for hiring the right person to replace them, not in a rush. And it, it, it insulates you and protects you from, from that so much more. Um, and then, of course, the solution that you described, which was always having some contract attorneys sort of in your Rolodex, you're always feeding some contract attorneys. There should never be a time where you're not feeding a contract attorney something to keep the lines of communication open and to keep that relationship fresh and to, and to prevent dust from settling on there. Um, that's a really valuable lesson that you shared, and I want to thank you for that because there, there's a lot of lawyers who are listening to this. In fact, I have a hard time imagining any lawyers listening to this, certainly anyone with anything under a million, $2 million firm, everyone with under a million or $2 million firm should be paying real close attention to the to lesson you share there, Jason. Do you, have any, do you have any tips or advice on what to look for? How, what, what did you do about finding contract attorneys? Were you looking for them before the associate quit, or did you have to find them quickly? You found three. So no, I basically, um, my business, my managing partner um, told me I needed to do that because I didn't think about it. I, I was kind of like a deer in the headlights. And so literally on a Thursday, I started looking for them. And within two days, I found, I reached out to a network of individuals. And within two days, I found two. And then I luckily, someone reached out to me who worked out to be great um he's going to be doing court appearances for us in the bay area so it, it was a combination of just putting like i said earlier when i when you and i talked back in las vegas just stop do it and see what happens and i literally just stopped doing everything else spent two and a half maybe three hours that thursday looking for him and i like one of um a colleague here eric toscano in san francisco he had somebody. I talked to him that night after he got home from work. He connected us that night, and then I got connected with um, another um, attorney um, through a third party um, that day, and then the third one was the following week. It just, you know, I don't know if it was luck. I, it wasn't luck, it was, but it was like I just made it a priority, and it happened. Well, you know, you also – and this is another one of the benefits – of having a larger firm. And I'm not going around trying to tell everyone you need to have a multi-million dollar firm if you don't want to. But, you know, there there are some undeniable benefits to having a larger firm. And one of those benefits of having a larger firm is you're in a position to refer out a lot more business. And when you're referring out a lot more business, your network ends up becoming a lot richer and more productive. And so when you do have problems like this that show up, you can reach out to your network and all of a sudden you get three contract attorneys in a hurry. So, you know, good for you. Exactly. Yeah, and each of them are going to bill about 20 hours a week, and that's going to generate – each of them that generate between twenty six dollars and $34,000 a month in billable work that I can – that helps our firm. So that's and going to be like potentially $86,000 a month in billable work. $86,000 a month in billable work with what kind of margins? Um. Less than I'm paying them less than a third of what their billing rates, what they're charging me to what I'm billing them out at. 
Yeah, so you're talking about $50,000 a month of gross profit from these three contract attorneys. You know, that's, that'll make a difference. It will. <laughs> I'm looking I'm looking at this next quarter, you know, that once we find an attorney to hire, that's we you know, that's going to well onboard them, but in the meantime, that's going to help us have hopefully our best quarter of the year. Do you intend to maintain relationships and keep giving work to those contract attorneys even after you have a full-time yeah. associate in place? Yeah, cuz we're going to have more than enough work. I mean, I don't we're not slowing down. And so between the marketing we're doing and everything, it's like you said earlier, you want to keep those channels open. You don't want to lose them because once you build that relationship up, it makes life so much easier. You don't have to go through the onboarding process and teach them how, how we do our billing and the invoicing and all of that. It's just like, Hey, John, here's, a, here's another project. Hey, um, Susan, here's just, you know, I'm not even dealing with any of these, by the way, my junior associate is doing all the work with the contract attorneys. She kind of, she drives it. She writes down the projects. She's communicating with them. I don't do any of it. It's called that comes directly out of your business plan because you've got processes and policies and procedures and standards documented. I know that as a fact. Good for Absolutely. You. All right. So listen, we're uh, getting. I'm sorry. Makes my life a lot easier. Sure does. So, uh, any final words of wisdom? Uh, to to lawyers who are listening to this, uh, things that they should do and and not do based on your experience. I think the biggest thing I've taken from running my own law firm is don't be shy to ask for help. Um, I have a big ego. I'm a litigator, and so it took me a long time to come to terms with that I can't do this on my own. First off, I had no training, but secondly, it's okay to ask for help because I have a bigger responsibility. I have three, I have a wife and three kids and get over yourself and reach out to people, whether it's how to manage, whether or not it's other, there's business coaches, other business owners who are successful, talk to them, get help, take them out to lunch. You know, get coffee, buy them a beer, whatever it takes, because you can't do this on your own. You know, in one of the earlier podcasts, I forgot which one, uh, one of the, the, the our guests was talking about how they began to just reach out to lawyers, total strangers who had successful law firms, and uh, how they found that the more successful law firm owners were actually much more generous and open and giving than the less successful law firm owners. Do you see any correlation there? Absolutely. I mean, there. why don't you want to help people? I mean, it's what I want to do for a living, so why wouldn't I want to help someone who is going through what I went through? You know, like you and I have talked about, we met an individual in, in Las Vegas, and I've talked to him. He hasn't, you know, and he's he has a small kid, small firm, real estate litigation in the Midwest, and he's going through exactly what I'm going through, and I, you know, I want to help him, and I, I share with him personal stuff, and I'm like, he's going to go through, you're going through the same stuff or you're going to, and you want to help them, because it makes their life better, and it's not like he's going to take business away from me, I don't even care, because there's so much business out there, that's not what it's about, 
It's about helping people. I don't know. Yeah, you know, there, there are other people who run uh, businesses similar to how to manage a small law firm. And people think that we're, like, at each other's throats. And the fact of the matter is, behind the scenes, we're all friends. You know, we're, we're, we refer business back and forth to each other all the time because sometimes someone will come to me and, you know, I could definitely help the person. My, my firm could definitely help the person. But, you know, we're just not the right fit. They don't like my style. They don't like our language. They don't like our sense of humor. They don't like our taste of music. They don't like the volume of the music that we play at our meetings because, you know, our meetings are a little bit aggressive. And, um, you know, and we'll refer them over to, I don't, I, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to name names just because I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to give a, a, a backhanded compliment to them. But I, I give a lot of referrals and I get a lot of referrals from people who do similar things to what I do, because the truth of the matter is there is no such thing as competition. And I, I'm sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox. This is supposed to be me interviewing you, but there is no such thing as competition. And, and unfortunately, lawyers who are broke usually don't understand that. And part of the reason that they're broke is because they don't understand that. And, and, the, that causes them to be afraid of asking for help because they think, well, who would ever help me? Why would anyone help me? And it's like, why wouldn't you help them? Right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's backwards thinking. I think once you get to a certain well, level, you want to help people. You don't, you just see the benefit because I always want to ski with somebody who skis better than me. I always want to be around people who do things better than I do so I can learn from them and rise rise to that level I, that's how i approach things and to the extent that you have that attitude early on in your career you'll rise much faster that's been my experience yeah so like listen, i said Jason, i'm 49 I want, I, yeah go ahead go ahead arjun sorry no you, i was going to wrap up the call but it's, but you sound like you got some more pearls of wisdom to share so please no, I was just saying, I mean, for anyone who's listening, thinking it's too late to do this, I'm going to be 50 this year. And I joined your organization three years ago because I needed help. And there's other places you go to help, but it's never too late to get help. You know, I, you know, it's, I, so even though I'm, I'm older, um, I'm not done and for the least bit. And so for those attorneys out there who are listening, who are in my area of age don't think it's not there it's too late to get help because it's not and that's it i appreciate that all right jason estavillo uh in case there are any lawyers who are listening to this who would like to make a referral for a foreclosure defense or real estate litigation in the bay area and they want to make a referral to a lawyer who let's just say a lawyer who's like you because that's a good thing. Um, how can they find you? Um, www.estavillolaw.com um, or um, Jason at estavillolaw.com. Um, Estavillo is E like an Edward, S like in Sam, T as in Tom, A, V as in Victor, I, L, L, O, estavillolaw.com. Is that right? That is correct. It is indeed. Awesome. Thank you for your time, and uh, I will let you get back to your, your family and your day off.
which you took a, you took time out of your day off to, to do this for us. So thank you. You're welcome, Mark John. You have a good weekend. Take care. Thanks.